Carter Conlon from the historic Times Square Church in New York City. Now, Philip was a man that God could speak to, and when he would speak to him, he would simply just do what God was asking him to do. And so my question, I guess, to you and to my own heart is, are we like that? Can God speak to you? Can God move you from where you are today, and can he take you to where he wants you to go? We're so glad you've joined us for this week's edition of A Call to the Nation with Carter Conlon. The question Carter asks us to consider today comes from a story in the book of Acts. Here, we learn about a man named Philip the Evangelist. Not only was Philip willing to serve God obediently, he was miraculously transported from one place to another. Let's join Carter now with his message titled, He Rose and Went. We're living in obviously very perilous times now, times that we have been warned about for 35 years in this particular congregation. And I wish I could say things in the world are going to get better, but I don't think so. I think it's going to get more difficult. According to the Word of God, the deceptions are going to get deeper. The wars are going to go farther. There's going to be famines and pestilences and earthquakes, as, as Jesus said. But he also said this gospel will be preached in all the world before the end comes. This gospel will be preached. And God is a God of justice, but he's a God of mercy. And he will enable us, all of us, to preach the gospel, I think, farther and wider than we've ever dreamed, more than we can even ask or think in this, in this season. The internet is the, is the net now. John 21, remember the disciples had fished all night and they'd caught nothing. Jesus is on the shore, he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat. In other words, do it this way, do it my way. And when they cast the net, the, suddenly there's 153 fish that are sent by the hand of God to swim into that net. And the net in our generation is the internet. I've known that for a long time. You've known that for a long time. This is the net that God's going to use to bring in a multitude, a harvest, I think, that's too numerous to, for any, any one of us to ever count. We won't ever be able to have a full tally of all the people that are going to come into the kingdom of God and be discipled in connect groups and be discipled on the internet and find fellowship and find other believers in their respective countries. It's already starting to happen, folks, and I'm so glad that we all get to be a part of what God is doing. You know, and I was thinking about the story of Philip, the evangelist, and talk about what was it in this man that God could use him in a spectacular way. And there's no doubt about it. Of all the people that have been used in the New Testament, there's, there's rarely a man that's more curious than Philip or a man that was more great, had greater experiences with God. There's nobody else in the Bible ever that was translated by the hand of God. Which may, anybody here ever seen Star Trek? All right. Yeah. I mean, you can raise your hand. It's okay. Nobody's going <laughs> to... We're, we're not turning the cameras around. We're not taking your picture. Uh, you know, in Star Trek, they stand on this thing called a transporter, and everybody just kind of disintegrates, and then they appear in another place. Well, that's what happened to Philip. Philip went into the waters of, of baptism. He baptized an, uh, an Ethiopian uh, man who uh, was under Candace, the uh, queen of the Ethiopians. And after baptizing him, he was just transported by God. And he appears in another town shortly after called Azotus. There's nobody in the Bible that that ever happened. Now, Elijah went up in a chariot, but nobody was ever transported by God the way he was. But yet it didn't seem to ever alter his character. And I want to talk about this man, Philip, in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. We'll start there. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So 
He arose and went. So that's what I called the message. So he arose and went. And that was the thing about Philip. The one characteristic of his life is whatever God asked him to do, that's what he did. Philip was an obedient man. He went where God called him, not necessarily where he wanted to go. Now, Philip was a man that God could speak to. And when he would speak to him, he would simply just do what God was asking him to do. And so my question, I guess, to you and to my own heart is, are we like that? Can God speak to you? Can God move you from where you are today? And can he take you to where he wants you to go? Can he make your life into that which he's destined it to be so that it brings glory to his name? Or, or do we get so entrenched in our own self-view, our own ideas maybe of what our life should be, or even ministry, what ministry should look like, and we get entrenched to the point where the Lord can no longer… Sp- we're speaking to God, but he can't speak to us anymore. We're not willing to even consider moving outside of the comfort maybe that we've found for ourselves. You know, as, 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 as natural people, we, we strive for a place where we feel accomplished and we feel comfortable and we feel like we've achieved something. Everybody wants to achieve something in life. There's not that many people that, that say, my, my goal in life is to be a loser and to accomplish nothing. There's not very many people like that. Everybody wants to do something, to accomplish something. And so, but when we finally get to the place where we feel like we have accomplished something, the tendency is to more or less build a box around ourselves and say, this is what my life is, it's what it's going to be, it's what God has done. It becomes our story, it becomes our identity, it becomes our testimony. The difference between that and Philip is that Philip was a man who could be moved from where he was to where God was sending him. Even, even when where he was seemed to be glorious to, and he was sending him to something that was unknown, he didn't have any idea where it was that he was going. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18 tells us that God sets the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleases. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's his choice where we are to be in the, in the body of Christ. It's not our choice. And when it becomes our choice, we become a natural kingdom, and we cease to be a supernatural kingdom. The reason that God could do the things he did through Philip is Philip, Philip was never so entrenched in his own self-identity or maybe his ministry identity that he couldn't be moved to the place where God wanted to take him, even when it looked like a desert. He first appears in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 to 6. Now, here's where Philip's ministry starts. It says in chapter 6 of Acts verse 2 to 6, it says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, not not just ordinary people to serve tables, but people who had a good reputation. They were filled with the Spirit of God, and they had wisdom. But we will give ourselves, verse 4, continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and then it goes on and tells us about the rest of them, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands upon them. You see, can you just imagine now, if you had gotten to the point in the body of Christ, like let's just say you're a member of Times Square Church, you've been attending here, and you now have a reputation. Maybe God's given you some giftings of the Spirit. Maybe you have words of wisdom or knowledge, or maybe you're just, you're just known for prayer or something. You're known for something anyway. You have a reputation. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. You know you are, and you make sure everybody around you knows that you're filled with the Holy Ghost, and you have wisdom. At least you think you do anyway, but 
you know, you, you have a wisdom that is birthed and given to you of God, and then suddenly somebody comes to you with all those qualifications and says, we need somebody to serve tables. I want you to think about that for a moment. What? Me? Me? Me with my reputation? Me? Full of the Holy Ghost? Me? With all the wisdom that I have, the knowledge of the Scriptures, and you want me to serve tables? Because you want to give yourself to the study of God's Word and to prayer, and you want me to be the one that's bringing trays of food with all my wisdom and anointing (laughs) and all the things that I have? Yes, you? You see, the thing about Philip, Philippians, let me just read it to you, Philippians chapter 2. Now, it's amazing. We, we preach sometimes as preachers even with such eloquence and live with such mediocrity. Because here's what Paul said to the Philippians, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of what? No reputation. And taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So you don't get any bigger than God. You don't get any smarter than God. You don't get any more anointed than God. But yet even though he was God and could consider him God and could actually portray himself as God, instead of that, he took on himself no reputation. Let this mind be in you. See, this mind was in Philip. This is why God could use him the way he could be used. This was a test in a sense. You know, Philip was a man who did not consider any form of service appointed by God beneath him. That's the point, you see, any form of service. You know, as leaders in the body of Christ, for example, if, if there's a piece of paper stuck on the platform, we shouldn't stand here and wait for somebody to pick it up. We should pick it up ourselves. Now, in Acts chapter 8, we first saw Philip in, in Acts chapter 6, and then in Acts uh, chapter 8, we see a persecution. A man called Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen, and a great persecution arose against the church, and they were all scattered. So suddenly, just as can happen in our society, a persecution arises, and it's a violent persecution. Saul is a lunatic. He's almost like the Vladimir Putin of his time. He's just a lunatic. He just wants to conquer. He wants to destroy everything unlike himself. He's got letters of authority to bring people into, out of their homes, take them to prison, and torture them. And by his own confession, he caused people to even blaspheme the name of God under torture. He's, he's driven. Everything unlike himself has to be destroyed. That's the Saul of Tarsus of that particular time. And because of him, the church was scattered. Suddenly, people, whatever ministry Philip found himself in serving tables suddenly had to leave. He had to, he had to get out of town because the alternative was not too pleasant. And verse 4 of Acts chapter 8 says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So now now Philip has gone from serving tables to doing miracles. Well, God's actually doing it through him. We're talking miracles here. We're not talking about somebody with a stiff knee suddenly, you know, feeling better. We're talking about somebody with a blinded eye suddenly seeing like miracles are starting to happen here. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. So suddenly, he starts out serving tables. Now he's in Samaria because he's been scattered because of a persecution, and miracles are happening. 
I mean bona fide miracles, and people who are lame are being, are being healed, and people who are demon-possessed are being set free, and joy is breaking out. All kinds of people are starting to come to Christ as it is. And the prominent leaders now take notice of his ministry. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. It's amazing, you know. So suddenly the big boys come to town. And so, Philip, you know, Philip could be, I made it. I'm in the big time now, you know. Like, I mean, I, I mean, miracles are happening. Healings are happening. Demons are fleeing. People are getting saved. Joy is, joy is everywhere. And, and, and the big boys come to town. Like, it doesn't get any bigger than, 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 uh, than Peter and John showing up in town. So, I, now suddenly the, the general executive assistant to the general executive, you know, in, in our word, has taken notice of me now. Now I've hit the big time. And they come and they lay hands on people. They start receiving the Holy Spirit. And the, the revival is just, the revival is, is, is one of the greater ones, actually, in the book of Acts. And then suddenly a messenger of God shows up to Philip one day and in chapter 8 and verse 26. And he says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. Can you just see the people? Philip, in heaven's name. What are you doing? Where are you going, Philip? Philip, you're the man. I mean, the kingdom of God has come down through you. Philip, miracles are happening. Philip, demons are fleeing. Philip, there's great joy in the city. There's a revival happening here. The big boys have come down to even look at your ministry. And you can just see he's got his little, he's got a stick over his shoulder with a bag with his clothes in it, and he's heading out of town. Where are you going, Philip? I don't, to the desert. What's there? I have no idea. But God is speaking to me that I should go. You see, the point being that God could speak to this man. He, could, he was never so entrenched in what he was doing that God couldn't speak to him. And I, I have to wonder sometimes, is it possible that he's the only one that God could speak to? Is it possible that everybody's so caught in what they're doing in this great revival in Samaria that, that the Lord is actually trying to speak to various people, maybe didn't want to take the key man out? You don't know that for a fact. I'm only speculating. But is it possible he didn't want to take this, the key player out of there, but nobody else could hear? God's kingdom was about to move into Africa. He needed somebody to meet up with an Ethiopian eunuch in the desert who was going to be converted and he was going to bring the gospel, the very first record of the gospel going into Africa. And he couldn't find anybody, but Philip still could hear from God. It wasn't all about largesse. It wasn't all about ministry. It wasn't all about, look what's happening in my life and look what's happening through my life. It was God could still speak to him. And, and just as in the beginning, nothing was too small for him. You see, God has a long-term view. We have a short-term view. We tend to see everything in the here and the now, and because of it, it limits our vision. But when we're willing to hear from God, has a long-term view. He sees the pastor's conference in Kenya two years ago. He sees the gospel going into all Africa. He sees the millions of people that are going to come to Christ, and he needs somebody to meet the man that's going to bring the message of Christ there. And Philip could hear him. Don't ever get so big that you can't hear from God. Don't ever get so big that something that is small looks like it's too small. Oh, no, not for me. No, I'm the miracle man. 
Peter and John have taken notice of me. Man, I'm on the way up. This is, my career is set. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my name in lights. I'm going to have a brochure with my picture on the front. Like, well, however they did it back then. Oh, no, everybody's going to know my name. And suddenly he's leaving town. Hey, guys, look after the revival. God be with you. I'm heading off to the desert. And so he meets the Ethiopian eunuch in the desert and leads him to Christ, takes him down into the water and and baptizes him. I love this story. And then it says in chapter 8 and verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Imagine, imagine you could be used of God in such a way that you baptize a man, then you disappear and you, you end up in a city. And you're walking around saying, okay, you tell me where this is, where am I? And, and, and your whole ministry is not about, you're, you're translated. You know, today all we do is get translated into Spanish. We don't get translated the way they did it back in the book of Acts. You know, just like, and so, so his, whole, his whole ministry is not about the fact I was translated or I was a miracle man. Philip is, is just preaching the gospel again as he's always done, and it doesn't become all about this miracle that happened in his life. It's just about Christ. He's just an ordinary guy that God could get a hold of that started serving tables, and now the Lord, is, the Lord is, has such control of this man that he, he can just take him from one spot and put him in another. Oh, God. Oh, God. That's the cry of my heart now. Lord, would you just open my ears to your voice? Would, I, would you help me not to get stuck in the self-view or stuck in what I'm doing or stuck in what I'm not doing? Would you just help me to be able to hear you? You know, did it make a difference winning one man in a desert? That's all he could see. That's all his natural eye could see. But something much bigger than that was happening. The plan, the pattern of God was beginning to be made known and was beginning to move into another part of the world that had never known this message of Christ. And it brings me to point two, which is Philip was a man who trusted that where God calls, God will prosper. We don't have to understand it. Just have to obey it. What he asks us to do, just do that. Here's the point. God's calling in Philip's life was never about himself, but always about others. If your calling is about yourself, your ears, are, you might as well stick your fingers in your ears. You're never going to hear from God if it's about you. But if it turns to being about others, if one person means as much to you as the crowds once did in Samaria, then God can use you in a miraculous way. God can take you. God can take me where, to places that only He can because our focus is not on ourselves. And in the American church, God help us in America, but we've been so self-focused as a nation for so long that I fear that our ears are closed to the voice of God in much of God's house. Now, let me take it right to the conclusion now in Acts chapter 21, the last mention of Philip, and I just love this. In Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, now the writer of Acts says, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. Remember, that's where where, uh, Philip ends up after he's translated, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. This is the seven that initially served tables, and stayed with him. And this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and Luke says, and we stayed there many days. And this is is what I love about this, is the, 
the man who scattered him early on in the book of Acts is now welcome in his home. Don't you just love that? And Philip now has four daughters, and his last ministry now is to pass on this ability that God gave him to hear his voice to his family. And he didn't consider that too small either. You know, after Samaria, after being translated, after preaching in Caesarea, after all the stuff that he did, he's now at home, and it's as if it's his reward. May I put it that way? He's got four daughters that have the same heart that he has. You know, prophesying is the ability to hear what God is speaking and to, be, and to move with it. That's what prophesying is. Remember Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will show you things to come. And so here, he's got four daughters, and they're prophesying about what God's about to do, maybe through them or through others. who I don't know what it is, but they are moving in unison as their father has with the Spirit of God. And I love the fact that Philip does not consider being hospitable and raising a godly family beneath his calling in God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And here's the promise When we live for God, when we're willing to be used by God, when God can take us from one place to another, and it always doesn't have to be bigger and better, we will have the privilege of passing this on to our children. And in my case, our grandchildren. We'll have the privilege of being able to speak into their lives. And you see, Philip lived a kind of a life that became desirable. When he would tell the stories to his, tell us again, Dad, about how God lifted you. You were in the water, and the next thing you know, you're in a place called Azotus. Tell us, how did that feel? And Philip would just, because his focus was on just obeying God and being used for the sake of others, the Lord was able to pass on that vision that he had in his heart to his family. Oh, God, help us. I was tucking in three of my grandsons in the summertime, and putting them in bed when they were younger, and, and one of them just out of nowhere says to me, Papa, tell us again what kind of a man you were before God came into your life. You know? Don't you love that? So I'm, I'm telling them the story, and I, I, I shared the Scripture that says, if anyone be in, man, is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old things in his life pass away. And then Landon, who was the oldest at the time, he was about seven, his brother Liam was uh, four, and he says, uh, well, Liam's not saved. And I said, why do you say that? He said, well, as long as I've known him, I've never seen any change in his life. And so I'm trying to tell him, you know, Landon, you shouldn't judge your brother. And, you know, you, sh- you should. And, and as I'm starting to talk, Liam is leaning against the wall, and he starts to cry. Tears come down. He says, it's true, Papa. It's true. It's true. And before I had a chance to even speak, he goes, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. And God, I open my heart, and I ask you to come into my life. It was amazing. And it all started with, Papa, tell us what kind of man you used to be before Jesus came into your life. See, when when you've walked with God, when you've just obeyed God, when your life has been lived, it becomes attractive to your family. They want to hear about it. You're not there just hammering scriptures, and you're going to, this is another memory verse for you tonight, As, as good as all that is. When, when a life has been lived for God, there's a, there's a legacy that passes on. And you know, if I was to live the rest of my life just passing the journey that I've had with God on to my grandchildren, that's good enough for me. It was good enough for Philip, so it's good enough for me. God is he's not obliged to do anything more through any of us. 
Then he's, our names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's good enough. After that, he owes us nothing. Everything else is gravy after that. And if, if just raising a godly family is what he wants me to do, I'm okay with it. Thank God for that. And it's not a demotion, folks. It's not a demotion. And so I just want to tell you tonight that God is, has something special for you. As Pastor David Wilkerson used to say, if you want to know the power of God, Carter, take a lower seat. And if you want to know more power, take a lower seat. And if you want to know the power of God after that, take a lower seat. When you go into a house, find the lowest seat and take that seat. And the power of God will be your portion all the days of your life. And to pray for you and to wish you God's speed. Because this is about the kingdom of God. And we don't have to understand where you're going. We just have to know that God is leading you to go there. You've been listening to Carter Conlon from Times Square Church in New York City. For more information and resources to help you in your walk in Christ, log on to tsc.nyc. That's tsc.nyc. And be sure to be with us next week for A Call to the Nation with Carter Conlon.